Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. This episode's Ocean Advocate is Dr. Denise Herzing. Denise is the founder and research director of the Wild Dolphin Project, studying the behavior, social structure, and communication of Atlantic spotted dolphins in the wild for more than three decades. Hi, Denise. Welcome to the show. Hi. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on the show today to um, learn more about your story and your research and to share that with listeners. Listeners, I think you're going to be very excited to hear from Dr. Denise Herzing, the founder and research director of the Wild Dolphin Project. It is the longest running underwater dolphin research project in the world. And it's got all these intricate details that are super exciting and also ways for you to get involved. So definitely stay tuned for those towards the end. So listeners, to give you a little bit of background on how Denise is joining me today on the podcast, you might remember an episode from quite a while back now, probably over a year ago, but um, I had Tom Fitz on the show. He is an Emmy Award winning um, underwater videographer and photographer and also the founder of an amazing nonprofit called Schoolyard Films where they make ocean related and conservation related films that they share with educators um, around the nation and the world. And I believe that Denise, you are a board member of Schoolyard Films. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And after I spoke with him, um, when we were chatting, he was talking all about Denise and how amazing she is and the Wild Dolphin Project and how I had to have them on the show. So uh, a little while later down the line now, um, Denise is on the show. And I also had the opportunity to meet Denise and the Wild Dolphin Project team and learn more about them at an event last March in 2018, their Wild Ocean Science event. They have a yearly event where their team and Denise are there showcasing their research and what they've been up to and all that they do. And so I got to attend that event in Florida and learn more about it. And it was a really incredible event. They've actually got that same event coming up in this March in 2019. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. So Denise, I want to start out with asking you a question that I ask most of my guests that come on the show, because I think it really can draw a picture for listeners and myself about, you know, kind of your background and the foundation of your relationship with the ocean. So what was your connection to the ocean like growing up? You know, were you dreaming of studying dolphins as a child? You know, what was that relationship in terms of uh, physicality as well as mentally? Well, I actually grew up in Minnesota, so I had no ocean. (laughs) And uh, my interest stemmed from wanting to understand what goes on in animal minds. And uh, as a young student, I used to page through when we had real books, encyclopedia, so, and I used to always stop the whale and dolphin page and wonder what these social mammals would be thinking about in the water. And uh, about the same time Jacques Cousteau came on TV, and so I was pretty determined to explore um, the mind of dolphins, really. So as soon as I was uh, able, I jumped in my car, drove to Florida, did my first dive in the ocean, and then really pursued uh, my career in marine zoology, Uh, with emphasis on focusing on dolphin communication. 
Yeah, amazing. So it really has been a lifelong interest of yours ever since you were a little girl, even though you were growing up in Minnesota. That That's amazing. So like you mentioned, you, you know, focused on marine zoology and animal behavior, specifically dolphins. You got your bachelor's degree, your master's degree, as well as your PhD. And somewhere throughout your education, you actually started this research project, right? We already mentioned it's the longest running underwater dolphin research project in the world. You started it in 1985. What brought you to study dolphins in the wild as opposed to studying them in captivity? Because I know that's a really big distinction when talking about dolphin research. What was it for you that when you started this in 1985, you said, I really want to study populations of dolphins in the wild? Well, like many people, I had actually done my graduate work in captivity, trying to correlate behavior and sound. But really, my ultimate goal was to look at a natural society, which uh, captivity is not. And uh, I wanted to understand how they communicated in the wild. So I was uh, lucky to find a place uh, in the world where we could observe animals underwater. And as soon as I was done with graduate school, I drove to Florida and and, uh, continued my project. I actually was going to the Bahamas in the summer months during my graduate work to try to get started. But, um, you know, I got my training in captivity like many scientists, but I could see that it wasn't going to really tell me about dolphin communication the way I wanted to study it. And so the population of Atlantic spotted dolphins that you study lives in the Bahamas, relatively close to Florida. So I know you're based in Florida, but you do all of your field research in the Bahamas. When did you decide on this particular group of dolphins in this particular area in the Bahamas? You know, how did you come upon them and then decide this is the population I want to study? Well, I uh, heard about an ecotourism group that was going out there, the Oceanic Society, and I was based in San Francisco at the time. So I uh, volunteered to be their naturalist to see uh, what was up with this group of dolphins in the Bahamas. And really, as soon as I got out there, I went, wow, nobody's out here studying these animals. Why not? Um, I mean, it was it's a remote location, so you have to be a pretty big boat to get there. Um, but it was pretty clear that given a few decades, you could probably do some neat observations. So that was it. I had found my location. Um, you know, it took years to sort of get established with the dolphins and get them comfortable around us being in the water. Um, And eventually in 1990, I basically started running my own organization uh, with the same group of dolphins, of course. And uh, we've been continuing ever since. And it's probably not a bad place to be, right? (laughs) when there are no sharks and hurricanes it's a great place yeah yeah and so you do your research you have like a a five-month field season every year in the summer um, where you go to this area in the bahamas on the wild dolphin projects research vessel what are the main things that you're looking for and i know that your you know your research over the last three decades obviously covers a lot of topics but if you can kind of synthesize it for myself and listeners what are the main focuses of your research well the goal is really to tell the story of what the lives of wild dolphins are like and to study their communication system so the framework i've i really chose was kind of an anthropological framework i wanted to know who the dolphins were in their own lives as individuals, um, as families, and as a society to then try to figure out what they're saying to each other, basically. So we go out there and, you know, critical to any social mammal study is the tracking of individuals. 
So the baseline for everything we do is to photo identify uh, individual dolphins every year to monitor who has calves, of course, their health. Uh, we do some non-invasive genetics these days. And that all um, is the framework for videotaping their behavior, which we can see underwater, obviously. So we're correlating sound and behavior with known mothers and calves, with known siblings, that sort of thing. So right now our database is very rich in the, in the sense that it has metadata, so we know who's talking to what group, when it's occurring, and that helps us basically interpret their sound behavior. You touched on a few, you know, research methods and tools that you use. I want to just touch on this before we get more into your research. One thing that I really appreciate this kind of little phrase that you and the Wild Dolphin Project team use is in their world on their terms and in referring to your research of this group of dolphins. So can you just kind of elaborate on what that means to you in their world on their terms? Sure. Well, you know, we figure we're the guests in their home. Um, We do get in the water, so that's about as in their face as you could be, really. But we really try to... um, We've tried over the decades to learn their communication signals. So if they, if it seems like they don't want us in the water, we just get out of the water. Uh, we really don't touch them. We don't feed them. We try not to harass them. Uh, all our work is pretty hands-off. So we don't like really take them out of the water and tag them and that sort of thing. We do photo identification. We collect genetic material through their fecal uh, material in the water. So it really is about just respecting their space as much as we can, uh, while at the same time trying to get reasonable observations under the water. I know uh, something that you talked about at the Wild Ocean Science event, which I think the whole audience there was very excited to hear more and more and more about, and I think are excited for future results as well, is this attempt at two-way communication between you and your research team and this group of dolphins. So what are the tools that you're using in terms of equipment in order to try to make that possible? Well, really, primarily what we do is just observe them and decode their own signals. Uh, The two-way system is a bit of an experiment, and it's pretty rudimentary in many ways. Uh, So the idea is uh, we're trying to, you know, crack the code of their own communication, how they communicate with each other, and that we use computers and we're using some machine learning, artificial intelligence uh, programs with computer scientists to really look at the details of their sound. Now, the two-way system is different. And, I, you know, I find it always interesting that we've been trying to crack their own communication for 30 years. But as soon as it involved maybe communicating with them as humans, everybody's interested in it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of ironic because really – our most interesting feature is we try to look at how they communicate with each other. But the two-way work, um, the idea is that we know from captive studies with uh, multiple species of dolphins and primates and birds that if you create a system where the animals can communicate back, that empowers them to do so. And often cases what you're doing is creating a mutual, um, a mutual language so you're not really using their own system of communication. You're saying, hey, let's agree if, if you guys hit the keyboard and punch these keys, you know what it means, you get 
these food treats or we get to go for a walk in the case of primates. So it's a lot harder in the water to do such a thing, but we designed with the help of a group of computer scientists up at the Georgia Institute of Technology, basically wearable computers where we could program a very small set of artificial whistles that we created that we knew the dolphins didn't use that we could label with toys they like to play with, like seaweed, that sort of thing. And just to see if they would mimic those whistles and request objects from us, really. So it's about empowering them to communicate back. Now, the same group of computer scientists has this fabulous program with service dogs, where they give the dogs a little vest, and the dogs can communicate back in some detail to their their people, you know, the type of chemical they're smelling or a very specific thing. So the idea is all these systems have really been one way, you know, we're giving commands to animals. And now we're looking at how can we give the animals power to communicate back. So it's a lot harder than you think. Um, <laughs> no, it sounds hard. Because <laughs> like you literally you're wearing a computer on your body, you know, and there's something just wrong with putting a computer in salt water with a lot of electronics that can explode, you know, it's like, <laughs> what's wrong with this picture? Um, but anyway, so we basically can produce and hear sounds in the water using this box we wear on our chest. It's basically a computer amplifier. It has hydrophones for receiving sound, a speaker for playing sound. We have a keypad for punching certain sounds we want to play with. So we've been using that for the last three or four years. We've got pretty good data actually from it. it turns out the dolphins are trying to communicate in ways we didn't expect, uh, types of sounds that we weren't programmed to recognize. So right now we're kind of redoing the whole system to try to meet them halfway a little better because that's part of the challenge right is they're wild animals they don't really need to communicate with us they have a lot of fun things to do without us but they tend to spend some time with us during their playtime hanging out so we're just trying to use those windows of opportunity to explore whether they might try to use the system but another part of your research you know beyond the trying to communicate with the dolphins and even trying to understand their communication amongst each other is, you know, just just observing their behavior and their social structure. So you've been, like I said before, studying the same group of dolphins for nearly 35 years now, over three decades. I believe that there's been about three or four, maybe more generations in that time. What's it like for you, you know, over such a long period of time to come back year after year and see these new generations literally being born and, you know, assimilating into the social structure of this group of dolphins? Well, we're on our fourth generation right now. And, uh, of course, I've grown up with a lot of the dolphins that are now mothers or even grandmothers. You know, in some ways it's, I wouldn't say routine, but it's a little predictable in the sense that Mothers do the kind of the same things with their calves. Juveniles grow up the same way. They have little ritualized signals they use. But within those little age class clumps, you have different personalities. So you may have bold calves and shy calves. And what it really shows is the diversity of the society and how everybody has a role. You can have tomboy female dolphins that like hang out with the boys and roughhouse, but they still become mothers versus more sweet, shy, more kind of gentle mothering styles. So it's interesting to see how the health of a wild society is enhanced by its diversity and acceptance of everybody for whoever they are. 
So that's been really interesting. Um, it's always fun to go out there and see, of course, who survived for the winter. Um, that's a big thing, of course. And, you know, honestly, we've had a lot of uh, climate changes and issues with that uh, in recent years. And so even for the best place to study these animals underwater, fairly pristine and remote, they're still being affected by climate change, uh, basically food crashes and having to move to new areas, which can change their social structure a little bit. So these are realities we're all dealing with, uh, even though we study behavior and communication. First and foremost, they have to eat and reproduce, right? So so they're doing what they do, and we just are trying to tell the story. Looking forward into the future with this research project, you know, what are some of your hopes and dreams? And also, what are some kind of larger scale implications of this specific research project that you think can kind of grow out from it? Well, I mean, there are a couple things. I think first, I think it maybe shows that you can work semi non-invasively with wild animals and get good information without uh, doing them harm. Uh, secondly, I think it just tells the story of the complications of their lives and how how rich these non-human animal societies really are, including culture and communication. Um, I like to think that our project and the tools that we're developing to decode their own sounds, such as machine learning, could be used with a lot of different species. You know, uh, some some scientists, probably many scientists, will tell you, oh, we've looked at it, animals don't have language, we're done. But my view is we haven't looked at it, we haven't had the tools, we haven't had the rich data sets. We need to take a good look at it and see how complicated and, you know, are they talking about stuff that is akin to language. I mean, that's really a big question because it's still the one thing that separates us from other animals. And of course, I hope that dolphins survive and we hope to be able to still tell the story of their challenges uh, with their aquatic world, with uh, human impacts, of course, which are going on everywhere. So I guess those are the big things. Yeah. And so, you know, I talked a little bit about in the beginning uh, listeners that there would be lots of ways for you to get involved with Denise and the Wild Dolphin Project team. One thing that you can do is you can become a member, a Wild Dolphin Project member, and that comes with all kinds of different benefits. Um, and another is that you can actually participate in some of their trips during their summer field seasons out in the Bahamas studying these dolphins. So Denise, can you give us, myself and listeners, a bit of a description of what it means to participate in your research? Sure, well, we have a 62-foot power catamaran, um, so we only take uh, six people at a time. Uh, it's a nine to 10-day trip, depending. And basically, you live out there, you work on the boat with us, you eat on the boat, you sleep, and you get the opportunity when it's appropriate to observe the dolphins underwater, help us collect data. Uh, it's kind of family style, a little bit like camping. It's a very comfortable boat, uh, but we do have a bunk, bunk room, for example. That's one way to get involved. We also have an internship program uh, where young students with a very specific interest in being trained on some of these uh, methods and have field experience come out. In their case, their uh, their costs are supplemented by a, f a foundation that works with us. But we welcome uh, 
anybody who wants to come out, as long as you can swim and behave yourself a little bit. <laughs> and it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, it's wildlife, so there's no guarantees, but we usually see animals, get a chance to observe them during, I guess we do about nine trips, uh, nine nine-day trips uh, in the summer these days. So, and you learn a lot. You get to participate at whatever level you like, and um, it's a lot of fun, and it's great to be out in nature in the Bahamas, of course. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, so listeners, if you are interested in becoming a member or participating in a trip, or if you're a young student interested in marine science or animal behavior or anything like that, have field experience and want to do an internship with the Wild Dolphin Project, you can visit wilddolphinproject.org org to uh, learn more about all of those things. Um, another thing I want to touch on is the Wild Ocean Science event that Wild Dolphin Project is putting on in March of 2019. Denise, can you give us a little rundown on what to expect from that event? Sure. Well, it's our second annual event. Last year, we, we kicked it off with a PBS premiere uh, that covered our work. And we're trying to bring really some new science into Palm Beach County for the public because uh, we feel like there's a bit of a gap uh, for these opportunities for the public. This year, we're really uh, excited to have a National Geographic photographer, Brian Skiri, come to a talk uh, with his gorgeous uh, photography and his thoughts on conservation from traveling all around the world. It's basically a, a lecture. Um, it's about an hour long, and we usually have a little time beforehand to uh, eat, drink, be merry, and look at t-shirts, buy books, that sort of thing, and, and network a little bit. So it's been fun. And we had a great group of students last year who basically stole the show <laughs> with their super intelligent questions. So that was really quite encouraging for the next generation. Um, so yeah, it's open to the public. You can get tickets online at the same uh, wildupproject.org address. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all there. And just to note, listeners, that is in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. So if you're in the south slash east Florida region, then that will be relatively easy for you to get to. Um, Denise, I just want to wrap up with one last question. It's been a lifelong journey of curiosity for you in regards to dolphins and their behavior and how they communicate with each other. What would you say is the most profound lesson that you've learned from studying dolphins so far that, you know, maybe just relates to your own personal life or humans in general or our relationship with nature? What have you really learned from these dolphins? I would say the one big thing I've probably learned from the dolphins is that what's going on in their brain is a lot more complicated than we've given them credit for. Uh, and I imagine that's true with many, many non-human animals. And I still want to find out what's going on in that brain. <laughs> So we're making small strides and we'll get there someday. Yeah. So listeners, if you want to keep up with Wild Dolphin Project and their future research, because clearly Denise has a lot more she wants to learn. So she's going to you know, make that happen. And I'm excited for the future results of their research as time goes on. So I highly recommend that you guys find Wild Dolphin Project on social media. They are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube. They've got awesome videos on YouTube. So um, follow them there so to stay up to date with what they're doing, including events and, you know, memberships and participation opportunities and all these sorts of things. So Denise, I want to thank you for all of the positive change that you're creating for the ocean in 
learning about these dolphins, studying them in non-invasive ways, respecting them, and really just having a profound desire to to learn about them and share that with the world. So I want to thank you for that. And I also want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks, Allison. You just heard Dr. Denise Herzing, founder and research director of the Wild Dolphin Project, studying Atlantic spotted dolphins in the wild for more than three decades. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at oceanallison.com and tune into next month's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.